0: come meet me at the museum with alan and daniel we'll talk about the cardinals all night long
1: And welcome you into another edition of Meet Me and Musial. I'm your host Daniel Shoptaw. C70 at the bat, at C70 on Twitter. With me as always, Alan Medlock, for Red Dirt, Red Bird, and A Medlock One on Twitter. Alan and I have have dealt with the snow, but we're I don't want to say used to it, but we have we're kind of get stuck with this. Our guest, however. Should not have had to deal with that. We're, dealing, we're talking tonight with Katie Wu from The Athletic and Katie J. Wu on Twitter, which the J means she's just killing it. Um, Katie, thanks for joining us.
2: Guys, what up? Thanks so much for having me. Uh,
1: it, it has been, you, you should, like we said, you should be in Florida or very close to that. Um, what's the snow been like for you this time?
2: You know, maybe it's just, maybe I'm a little naive being from California and not really knowing anything about like a true winter, but I was excited when I heard that it was going to snow. I was like, oh my gosh, yay, snow day. I can sit in my house and like watch movies all day and it's <laughs> going to be so much fun. And I didn't think about any of the logistics, um, like my car. Like, thankfully I was in a garage, but I still don't want to drive because of the, I just, everything about snow is, was horrible like not to be dramatic but i was I, I was walking outside and slipping on the sidewalk i'm still like terrified to drive my car um i just you know i will enjoy it from the comfort of my home and hopefully not very frequently
1: yeah it's uh and, and hopefully not very often i yes. imagine um, it, the novelty is is going to wear off quickly it might already um, it
2: might have already done that
1: <laughs> very very fair um it, It is kind of hard, I think, for us to believe because of how fast you integrated yourself into the St. Louis beat and the St. Louis fan base. But you have not even had this job for a year yet, have you? What's this year been like for you?
2: I have not, actually. um, I think we are almost to the one-year point of the job opening. I I recall Mm. it opening like right before Valentine's Day, which is weird because that holiday doesn't mean anything to me, but for whatever reason, it like (laughs) stood out in my mind. Um, It has been both the fastest year of my life and the slowest at the same time when I just think about what has transpired in the last 11 to 12 months. Uh, I just feel like there's no way that so much could have happened in what seems like such short of amount of time. Um, It's truly been a whirlwind, um, nothing close to normal. I joked around with a couple of my friends who started the beat their respective beat, whether it was in twenty twenty in the middle of the pandemic, twenty twenty one, or a couple that have just been hired in the off season, and we all just joke around like we just wanted to write about baseball. And the baseball <laughs> gods must have been like, "Okay, like if you insist, here you go." And it's just been, like I said, a whirlwind. It has its it's great days and it has its frustrating days, but all in all, I, I can really chalk it up to one of the most. Um, I, I really, like, one of the most fun years of my life. There, There's no other way to put it.
1: Is there something about, I mean, and again, with all that's gone on over the last little bit, it's a little hard to tell, but is there something about the beat that surprised you quite a bit?
2: You know, yes. I, I want to say, like, the the whole thing. In a weird way, it was everything that I expected to be and nothing like I expected it to be. But I think what surprised me the most about beat writing I think was just how you lose track of time. I feel like it was August and opening day had felt like four weeks ago. Yet when you Mm -hmm. look at the calendar, two weeks ahead feels so daunting. There's all this information, all these matchups and storylines and things you have to do for work where you, if you look at like two weeks and the travel and the places you're going to be, it's overwhelming. And then you think back to a couple months ago and it just feels like you blinked. I mean, those 162 games flew by for me. And let me tell you, September was, which was like, I'm, I'm sure a tremendous <laughs> month for Cardinals fans was like one never ending day for me. It was the longest month of my life. And I, I and also went by so fast. So I think that like the biggest thing about beat writing, I don't even know if this makes sense is that there is truly no concept of time. You just kind of wake up and you, you I don't even know what day it is half the time. Do you know how many times my editor has messaged me saying, Hey, nice story, but um, it's Sunday. And you wrote Thursday. <laughs> uh, that's just like that's been my life now. I never know what day it is. I barely know what month it is. So you just kind of embrace it.
1: It it yeah. I can I can well imagine. And you know you got to travel this year too. So there's a little bit of that too. You not only don't know what day it is, you sometimes don't know where you are either.
2: No, I like I, I'm meticulous in writing things down in a planner. I'm very old school that way, but I like to have things like written down so I can read them and I'll have no idea. I'll like my friends will be like, oh, where are you going this week? And I'm like, oh, yeah, Cincinnati. And I know that like the Reds are not on the Cardinals schedule. And in my mind, I'm just like that. That seems right. And it'll be like, no, actually, you're going to Denver. So I, I think it was just a lot of, OK, let's really double check the travel. It's not as hard as you think it is. You're making this harder just one day at a time, Um, it it was a a true whirlwind, and you really have to learn quickly or you will get absolutely dusted. So I've learned a lot about myself in these last 12 months.
1: Even though you're competing with all of these people, it seems to be, from the outside looking in, that the St. Louis media scene is, is fairly supportive of each other. Did they help you out in this crazy first year?
2: Yes. um, In the beginning, you know, I I always joke that I got the press box lottery because my seat was right next to Rick Hummel, the Mm -hmm. commission force. And he's just a delight. The information and the stories and just the overall respect that he has across the board. I just feel like that was just a wonderful place to sit next to. Of course, Zach Silver sat on the other side of me, so it evens out. I'm, to- I'm totally kidding. Um, <laughs> Zach is great, uh, and it was just I just learning from. It was like two different spectrums, you know. Zach and I were very new, and we sat next to the commission and Derek Gould, two that are fantastic at what they do. So it was really helpful, especially travel. Derek has very good food recommendations and good things to do when you're in a city for the first time. He was really helpful in pointing me out, like, hey, if you're into museums or if you're into this kind of food, here's a place you could try. Um, And that was really helpful because I didn't know anything really about the Midwest or the East Coast. And we traveled there, obviously, quite a bit.
1: Mm -hmm. You integrated, like I said earlier, you integrated yourself with the fan base fairly quickly as well. I'm sure that there were times where that wasn't a good thing, but especially when you posted a lineup, but (laughs) overall, how, how has that interaction been with the fans so far?
2: You know, I like that you say uh, that I integrated, and thank you for that. But I really think that all goes to the fans for, for being so receptive. And, you know, I'm not naive. I know that when you are hired and you don't have a lot of big league experience and you're new to, to St. Louis and you're covering an organization like the Cardinals, the first thing you're going to get is skepticism. You know, like, what does she know? She hasn't even covered – I mean, at the time, I hadn't covered Major League Baseball. i have been in the minor leagues for the past mm-hmm. two seasons. So it had been – quite a while since I was at the major league level and I'd never been a beat writer before. So then you throw yourself into one of the most passionate fan bases and not just baseball, but in all of sports. And I was ready for some backlash and I was ready for some skepticism and I was ready for, for some scoffing. And I, I thought it was going to be really difficult, but Cardinals fans were so receptive for, like the overwhelming majority. I know it's easy to get caught up on like the internet trolls or maybe like a, a nasty email or a nasty comment. But the overwhelming majority of Cardinals fans were receptive and were easy to engage with. And I wrote about this very briefly um, when the lockout first started was early on in April when the season started. I had no idea what kind of stories resonated with fans and what they wanted to hear, what they liked about coverage, what they didn't. And one thing about Cardinals fans that we all know um, you're, all not a very, you're not afraid to voice your opinion. And, <laughs> and that was really helpful because the fans would always tell me what to write. Now, I'm not saying like fans would DM me and be like, you need to do a story on so-and-so or why haven't you done this? But I would go through my Twitter feed or I would go through Instagram or I would go through our stories in our comment section and there would be things that fans were talking about so passionately. And it was really easy to pick up on, okay, these are the kinds of things that this fan base is interested in. Here's the kind of coverage that works. And because they were so receptive and so willing to share what they wanted the coverage to be, because we know it's very easy to get to kind of forget this, but I'm not writing about the Cardinals from for my personal well-being. I'm doing it for the fan base. So for the fan base as a kind of overall whole to be so willing to share these opinions and have these conversations, not letting me, you know, not being afraid to let me know if I didn't meet their expectations. It was really easy to, it really helped me, I think, especially early on in those early months, kind of figure out how this fan base works and how to do my job.
1: How has, of course, you know, there's limitations still, with, with you talking to players. I know they've loosened up some but they're still not quite the what it was in the before times. Um, how did that how did those relationships build and, and do you feel like they still you know did build I guess or are they still needing some some strength?
2: That's a good question. Um, you know relationships are so important, whether it's with players or coaches, managers, anywhere anywhere you go relationships are important, but especially in journalism and it's very difficult. To build relationships and build trust without one-on-one conversations. And the easiest way to do that, of course, is through Clubhouse Access. And, and not having that, of course, puts everyone at a disadvantage, but it especially puts reporters who are new to the scene at a complete disadvantage. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is nothing is you're not entitled to anything just because you're a beat writer. Like you're not entitled to someone's time, you're not entitled to answers. It's all about the amount of effort that you are willing to put in. And it was very hard, especially in the beginning of the season. I would talk to these guys. I mean, if I was lucky, once a week on Zoom, and it would be a player, in the, a, a random player that someone needed. Usually, if it was a, a newspaper, they would get first pick on the player because they have to turn so many stories. With the athletic, you know, we don't run daily very often. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of at the mercy of other people's coverage in the very beginning with their... <laughs> requested player, and then you get the starting pitcher, of course. But as we remember in the early part of the season, that starting rotation was not performing up to expectations. Not a great time to really build relationships (laughs) when you're constantly asking, like, hey, how come no one has pitched into the sixth inning yet? So it took a while. But when we started getting in-person access back, I will say this. Well, I can't speak for every clubhouse in Major League Baseball, the players in the Cardinals clubhouse have, you know, for the most part, been very easy to work with. I think that they have a solid understanding. And it's not the player's job, of course, to be understanding about the media. It's the other way around. But they've been very understanding as in, okay, this is how they need to do their job and to do their job correctly and in the way that's the most fair to the players and the organization, we have to talk to them. And we have to have these conversations. So that was really helpful. But really, I think what did it was the travel. Because once you start going on the road, you know, we're the same place. I try not to stay at this team hotel as as much as I can. I just, you know, prefer my own Mm -hmm. privacy and I'm sure they do too. But it's easy to be like, hey, do you have time for coffee before Wednesday's day game? I have a story idea and it would be nice to get to know you on a level besides Zoom. And to the players credit, to the coaches credit, to pretty much whoever I asked, they were willing to do that. So that was a huge help in building relationships. And you know, once you know someone beyond a computer screen, it gets a little bit easy because, you know, I'm like, okay, well, yes, you're a, I'm a reporter, you're a player, but we're still humans at the end of the day. So I think it was it got off to a much better start um, than it, it... It could have been much worse, I, I, I should say. Yeah. I do think part of journalism is continuing to put into those relationships and continue building. So I'm always going to be wanting to make those relationships stronger and bettering my relationships with people. But... Being in person and being authentic and showing up every day and then putting in the effort outside of the normal pregame routine was really helpful, especially in that second half when things escalated very quickly, as we remember, and it was nice yeah. to have those relationships to rely on in September.
0: Yeah, we'll build on the relationship, I have a quick question. Yeah. Um, in the state that we are right now, with the owner-imposed lockout, um, I noticed that Wainwright did an did a, uh, in our, our, in, in interview recently um, is, there a, is it difficult to get a player to do something right now, or is it a situation where the union's like, be careful what you say because, you know, everything's on is pins and needles right now. I didn't know how accessible the guys were, if there was some kind of, you know, slight hush order through the union. Right.
2: Um, through the union, I know I can't speak with with firsthand knowledge. I can say it kind of depends on the players. Um, of course, I think there's just a lot of, of – caution all over the board no one wants to say the right thing no one wants to get something out of proportion um for the players that I've talked to not a lot of them haven't been willing to go on the record it's been more of a just checking in how are you doing how do you feel about the situation um but certain players are willing to talk about it I mean and I think what we saw over the heading into the weekend players going to social media and getting their opinions out I think hopefully was a turning point um yeah but a lot of – and I completely understand it from both sides. I mean, when the, the – I like that you said owner-imposed lockout. I think we need to continue referring it to that way. Um, when that lockout first began, the Cardinals sent out a message, and but not, not every 30 – like, not all 30 teams sent this out. I want to make this very clear. Um, but the Cardinals were one of a select few that sent out a press release or through PR saying, you know, the front office or Cardinals employees will not be speaking with the media until the lockout is over. Um, That was of their choice as well. I've seen um, managers and coaches from other organizations be willing to speak out, but I think that was the Cardinals exercising caution on their behalf because they also don't want to say something that's blown out of proportion or is misconstrued or maybe they speak out of turn. I think everyone is just being very cautious right now because this is such new territory. Um, And I I can certainly understand that. It It doesn't make it any less frustrating, but from a human element, I can understand it.
1: Yeah, and given the role that um, Bill DeWitt plays in the ownership groups, um, you know, we know that he kind of led the the, uh, committee that nominated Rob Manfred and things of that nature. I imagine that anything that he would say might carry more weight or get more attention than something that, you know, the Pittsburgh owner or somebody might say.
2: Yeah, that's that's a fair point. But and, and also we know how the Cardinals prefer to operate. They're very um, close knit organization. They don't often address things or when they do it, sometimes vaguely. Um, I'm not referring to a certain managerial firing or anything like that. <laughs> but, you know, that's that's just how the organization chooses to operate. Again, they weren't the only team, but they. There's definitely teams that weren't willing that didn't take it as far. It's just personal preference at this point, and everyone kind of watching over their own back. It's especially at this point when everyone is frustrated. I mean, owners are frustrated, players are definitely frustrated, fans are frustrated. Everyone's kind of on edge right now. So I certainly, from a human element, understand the need to maybe, you know, walk it back or not want to say anything, at least on the record yet.
1: Yeah. From from the journalism element, though, it's very, very frustrating.
2: Yes. I'm running out of ideas. Um, <laughs> desperately. And My editor and I have a call every Thursday and she goes, so what do you got? And I was like, "Um, I don't know. <laughs> what about you? What do you have? And we just go back and forth and eventually we find something. But, you know, I, I miss it. It's February. We're recording this on February 5th and pitchers and catchers are usually what I think Cardinals report date was February 16th. I, I mean, it technically still is, but I think we can pretty safely assume that mm-hmm. that won't happen. But Usually these would be my last couple of days of what I call my normal life um, and my social life, and I'd be packing up to spend six weeks in Florida for the first time. It's it's just a weird time. I, I feel out of sorts.
1: Yeah, it's it's a different a different thing for sure. Um, before we get into the lockout stuff, I do want to go back a little bit um, on this on what was actually on the field over the last year. What was the highlight for you or even if it wasn't on the field, but what was the highlight of the season for you? Did it have something to do with the 17 game winning streak or was it maybe something that we didn't see?
2: Um, this is a good question. No one's asked me this before. It's not going to sound great when I say it, but hear me out. I think the <laughs> highlight was the end and I'm not talking about like the end of the season or the way that the season ended, of course, for Cardinals mm-hmm. fans, that was heartbreaking. Um, it was, I, I was just looking back And just seeing how much I had grown as a reporter and as a person over the last six months and and realizing, okay, you know, I'd always, always, always wanted to be a beat writer, not to get like corny and cheesy and sappy over here. But (laughs) to do it and to have, to cover a team that was the 2021 Cardinals and to just kind of Think back and take it by month by month on the biggest storylines and everything that happened throughout 162 games, doing it in a new city for the first time. The people that I met. I mean, I met some of my closest friends doing this. Mm -hmm. Um, I think just taking it all in and realizing, okay, you know, you always wanted to be a beat writer. And now that you have a year under your belt, you can say you are one. Um, And it was just building I think a foundation I like I'm so excited for the 2022 season because I know what to expect right it's not like I'm flying Mm -hmm. blind and running around you know I know the cities I know the airports I know how the grind is I know when to take a day off and and when to not I I just have a better sense of expectations so for me the highlight was the end because it marked what was a pretty tough learning curve you know I'm, I'm not gonna lie and say it was so easy it was not um I It was very difficult, (laughs) but having that foundation and surviving it and learning from the many mistakes that I made or things that I could have handled better or done differently that would have probably yielded better results just makes me really excited for hopefully the years to come. Um, I think that was the highlight was just knowing that I did a year and I think I can hopefully only get better from here
1: yeah you're right you probably did come i I think i remember when when we recorded last year it was right around the beginning of the season and i think you were sitting on your floor because you didn't have the furniture yet i totally remember this
2: i was sitting on my air mattress and i like the team was in pittsburgh i wasn't traveling yet and i was like oh yeah this is the life i this is this is beat riding on my air mattress (laughs) on a saturday night this is great but you know it, it makes you appreciate that struggle and you have a different respect for for everyone who's done it cuz i i certainly am not the only person who has experienced this and i definitely won't be the last so
1: all right well let's talk then a little bit about this lockout and um it feels like it almost feels like they took a step back this week to me um after a little bit of a little bit of give and take not a whole lot on maybe on the owner's side um it just kind of felt like a lot of things fell apart this week is that what? How you feel about it too, or, or is there a little bit more hope than than maybe I'm putting out there?
2: It was definitely disheartening, and you know, I'm, I'm remaining objective here. While there are certain things that I I really don't agree with from the perception that MLB is putting on, I think it's important to to remain as objective as possible while also mm-hmm. acknowledging the frustration all around, like we talked about. But for me, I thought it was disheartening because. You could see maybe like some false hope in the weeks before. Oh, they're negotiating. They're having conversations after not having conversations for 54 days, right? It was like, okay, right, right around the middle of January was when collectively baseball as a society could hit the panic button. If they weren't having any kind of conversations, you could start panicking. But because they were negotiating in person and we were getting bits and pieces of, you know, the players and the union conceding some things and the owners not really budging too often, but in their mind, they were conceding to, to a few things and going back and forth. And also it's very important to remember, we only know what's being said because each side is leaking things there. We don't know what's going on all the way behind the scenes. Right. I was, it was, it was, I was dismayed to kind of see the, the fallout here, but it was, it's kind of going exactly how, Unfortunately, I expected it to because there's such discontention between both sides, and it's because both sides believe that what they're doing is bettering the game, but they are so far apart. And this this is something this lockout has been brewing for years. This is not something that just popped up over the last couple of months. This is years and years of sides being frustrated with each other. It was not going to be an easy fix. I do think we took a bunch of steps back. When I say we, I mean collectively as an industry. But seeing the statements released to the media. And seeing players go out and using their social media platforms. I know a couple of Cardinals took to Instagram. We've seen some retweets. That to me, it kind of symbolizes a turning point, right? Now, we don't know what that turning point is. That turning point could be really bad. This could be, okay, hey, both sides are so fed up that they don't wanna negotiate anymore. We know that MLB did not offer a counter proposal after saying that they would. But it also could be, okay, now it's in the media. Now we have statements that are being released out on behalf of both sides. Players aren't afraid to to kind of speak their mind. We saw, I think Friday Thursday and Friday was like the biggest push that we saw from a social media platform that players were using. So that could also be a way to maybe spin this forward as in, okay, now it's out in the public. It's public discourse. People are talking about it. Let's figure this out. Um, But the thing about this lockout, it is really just, it's who knows. It's again, very frustrating, very disheartening for fans. Um, But I I certainly think maybe we'll have a little bit more clarity in the next week or so, at least I hope.
0: Yeah, that was my next question. Considering that the owners' meetings are this week and that uh, there will probably be a State of the Union-type situation where they actually go ahead and officially postpone spring training, are we still playing with borrowed money here? Because NFL is is right at the cusp of the Super Bowl. We have college basketball going full force. There was, there hasn't been necessarily a strike like we just saw in '94, where they ended the season. So, considering that the that the court of public opinion isn't as wide as it will be when football is over, is the urgency not there on either side where it possibly will ramp up after this week?
2: You know, I think that there's going to be some sort of urgency, mainly because the owners are scheduled to meet for their quarterly meetings and Rob Manfred is expected to have a press conference and there will be heat, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you are the commissioner of an owner-imposed lockout, you're going to face some heat, especially when that lockout that was attempted, started at least to jumpstart negotiations, hasn't really led to anything. So the court of public opinion is a strong court. And like I said, if you combine that with the social media kind of collective push towards hey the players were the players were not happy um that could maybe spark some things however again it's been pretty it's been like tooth and nail for for the past couple weeks and I don't expect that to necessarily go away um my hope is that we'll still have some sort of a spring on time. Um, I, I again, I don't think it's starting on time, but I really hope the regular season isn't delayed. Just because I just feel like that's the last thing baseball needs from a fan standpoint. Fans are frustrated. Baseball already is, is losing so much ground when it comes to sports like football yeah. and, and basketball. I think the last thing for everyone involved, especially the fans, that would it would just be horrible to have a, a regular season delayed.
0: Yeah, it, it, you know I don't watch. Outside of the actual any games that they have on, I don't watch much of what uh, ESPN, and I have recently because I wanted to see how long it took before one of the a baseball story was brought up, and I've yet to see one since December. So I, I'm sure that's probably playing a pretty big role in analysis, but that you know it's it's forgotten at this point. But I think that's probably a pretty scary place to be in. I agree with you on that. That uh, you know they're they're losing. They're losing ground in popularity, and I watched a lot being snowed in. I watched a lot of MLB Network this week, and that was it was pretty tough, even to see a former player. I'll I'll say it: Harold Reynolds kind of turncoat, working for the network. It was pretty disheartening, and I, it's it's kind of a scary place for uh, the state of the game to me.
2: Yeah, I would I would agree. It is very scary, and I, I know that from the Players Association, they really believe that they are changing the, or trying to change the game for the better. And there are a lot of problems with modern day baseball, right? And what the Players Association is is, is essentially trying to do, and it gets so lost in the legal technicalities and terms that reporters have to report with. Otherwise they open themselves Mm -hmm. up to, to a bunch of controversy and and trouble. But I really think like the, the main things are just making baseball more competitive. And once you start throwing in terms, like, like salary caps and luxury taxes and things that the average fan doesn't really care to hear about, you lose interest even more. I can't tell you how many casual baseball fans have have Come up to me and have been like they're just talking about money well they're not arguing about money it's obviously much more complex than that but to the average fan that's what it comes across as and and that's harmful right i i totally understand the perception as in oh and this is such a tired argument of millionaires versus billionaires because as we all know that's not the case not every single sure. major yeah. baseball player is a millionaire and and the players association is trying to negotiate for the players as a whole right? And make the game more competitive again for everybody. But I certainly understand the average fan saying all they care about is money. They're only fighting over money. And while that is not factually correct, the perception is so much stronger than facts. And that is, of course, true, unfortunately, everywhere.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you know, I, I always preface this by I'm, I'm, I'm extremely pro-union. You probably can figure that out by of yeah, the I comments that, that out, I've yeah. said. Yeah, but and it it's one of those things to where even the play the players look the worst because the spotlight's on them. Not everybody knows the owners to the other teams. That's what's kind of disheartening about it. But I I'm also one of those that I hope they dig their heels in and, and change the way that that things are run on the player side. But
2: yeah, and you, know, you know, I understand I, that's difficult. I, that. I yeah. hear the um. Well, I heard a, a good argument the other day. you know, selfishly, I of course would like a 162 game season. I, sure. I love my job. Yeah. I would hate if opening day is delayed. But someone told me the other day, okay, let's say that Major League Baseball is 140 games this year because they're negotiating and the players are fighting for a better product overall. In time, that would make it worth it if if we, if baseball, if the players' association successfully and the union successfully implements no more tanking or a better competitive strategy or something along the lines to make baseball more competitive and no more service time manipulations, things that would make the game better in the long run. Those 20 games certainly aren't going to matter historically if if baseball doesn't play them. That doesn't make it any easier, of course, to come to terms with a shortened season or the potential of of a regular season not being 162 games. But I really think that the Players Association believes that what they're fighting for could be worth missing those games, although no one certainly wants to miss them.
1: So I'm pretty sure you don't remember the last strike. I was not um, alive for that, no. Yeah, that's what I was <laughs> going to say. Al- just to it's make Al I feel a little older. Time
0: am to go to bed.
1: I'll talk to you guys later. I had to. I'm sorry, you guys. I had
2: to.
1: But obviously back then, there wasn't this social media presence for players. Players really had limited ways of getting their opinions out. Do you think that the social media Push and obviously, that's it's very focused and very union driven. um, Is going to help or hurt overall the whole negotiating strategy because I I could see it going both ways.
2: Yeah, that's really interesting because this is the first time that we've had social media at our disposal to be able to keep up with us, with, us, with us in real time. I mean, we all know instantly when the next meeting's going to be because the national reporters will break it, and it's a mm-hmm. real-time reaction, and that can be both good and bad. I think there's positives to players using their social platforms to promote what they want, right? I, I think that's mm-hmm. – I would like to see more of that. I'm not just talking about from a, a lockout perspective. But there's also the fact that it's so easy to run things on social and to get facts misconstrued. I'm not talking about from a journalism perspective, just... I mean, and it's not even just from the lockout, right? I mean, we see this happen all the time. People argue over things and it gets, the narrative gets completely blown out of proportion because that's just how social media works sometimes. So it's like a double-edged sword. You could use social media as a way to push things and, and show and kind of create a movement behind you. And it could also backfire and it can also create further separation. So again, I like to think of myself as an internal optimist and I'm hoping that by players using their voices and, and, really kind of vocalizing how discontent they are and and how they would like to continue negotiating at the table was their hashtag, I'm pretty sure, hashtag at the table. Um, Mm -hmm. That that will help kind of spark negotiations and and spark MLB into having those negotiations and conversations. But again, social media can be used for convenience on both sides as well. And it can just be really hard to find a happy medium.
1: I think it also gives the players a chance to be humanized as well I yes. mean, so people are not looking at it as millionaires versus billionaires per se as you know they they can connect with these players and, and hear what they're saying it, owners maybe except for maybe Stephen Cohn um, don't really have that option but they've got you know other things at their disposal
2: right and I, I think that is a lot about humanizing um, and I, I've seen to a couple of players credits fans have been like I really don't understand What this is about and players will explain and they'll, you know, Mm -hmm. they're, they're doing what they can to get their message out. And I think that's really good because there's clearly so much confusion and so much frustration, warranted frustration, of course, and in this whole lockout. Um, And I, I am at least, you know, again, trying to be an internal optimist, hoping that these conversations can help spark real change
1: hopefully so. And and hopefully we can get back to baseball very soon because like you said, things are getting a little crazy. I mean, this draft over at the Athletic this oh, week was my probably the craziest thing I've ever seen.
2: <laughs> oh, but it was really fun. Okay, hear me out. It was really <laughs> fun. If you're listening or not familiar, the Athletic baseball vertical did a mega mock draft. Um we completely butchered the sport. It, we were so bored, but it turned out to be a really fun project. And I don't think I'm getting enough credit, guys. I really don't think my team is getting enough credit. I understand that I probably botched my first round pick, but I got nervous. Um, I don't think I did as bad as everyone is making me out to, to look.
1: You, you did get hit pretty hard. And yeah, for uh, what reason? Um, I, 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 I. Yeah, I mean, because it's, I mean, what do you going to do with that? It's, it's, it's hard to kind of wrap your head around. So I, I'll, I'll go with that. Thank
2: I you. Can,
1: Thank you for having my yeah. back. When they do get back on the field, and I know you've written some articles about this as well, um, but what do you think the Cardinals do first when, you know, the the CBA is signed and the, the gates are opened? What What do they go after?
2: Oh, yes, I love this question because it like allows me to pretend that things are normal for a moment. Like these are <laughs> things that we'd be talking about normally on February fifth. You know, what are the Cardinals' final move? What is, what's the final move going to be? What do they, what else do they need to do? Um, I think they're what. First of all, the good news whenever this lockout ends is there is going to be an absolute frenzy. Of moves mm-hmm. and when i say good moves that's good moves for the fans bad bad news for me because it will escalate very quickly we will essentially go zero to 100 very quickly fans will love it i will probably be burnt out by like march i don't know if we're if we're if, uh, give me two weeks give me two weeks and i'll be like oh my okay. gosh a day off please um i think the cardinals will be, will be um revamping pitching still uh i know that they've obviously needed starting pitching and they've Found who they were looking for in signing Steven Matz before the lockout. I think they'll pivot to relief pitching. You look at the Cardinals bullpen, there are a couple guys that are exciting that are going to be back. I know they lost a lot of, of talent with Andrew Miller and KK and a bunch of, of uh, Luis Garcia, but they brought back TJ McFarland. Ryan Helsley's coming back and he's healthy. We don't quite know where Jordan Hicks or Alex Reyes will slot. Potentially they'll be in the rotation or at least start, spot starting, maybe. Otherwise, they will be in the bullpen in multiple roles. is Cabrera will be back, Giovanni Gallegos, etc. But I do think they need another reliever, and I expect they'll pursue someone along the lines of Joe Kelly. They were linked to Joe Kelly before the lockout. Or a Joe Kelly prototype, where it was someone who can go and do multiple roles. You know, the Cardinals, although Giovanni Gallegos is coming back or will be back, hasn't they haven't named a starter. They didn't name a starter before the lockout, and spring training will be very much a telling of who that closer we're going to be. I said starter, but I meant closer. Sorry guys. Mm -hmm. It's been a while since I've talked baseball. Sad. (laughs) Um, We knew what you
1: meant. Thank you.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So it's just kind of like, I think piecing that when they piece the bullpen together, but I really think their, their primary objective will be finding a reliever that can pitch in multiple roles is very versatile, has that veteran experience. And I expect it to be a multi-year deal, probably around two years.
1: You know, John Mosaylock has had his issues signing free agent relievers. Um, do you think that factors in? I mean, or is it, you know, again, is it more of the TJ McFarland type or is there that, you know, because Joe Kelly probably costs a little bit more than your average reliever would.
2: Right. But at least with Joe Kelly, the Cardinals know what they're getting. I mean, it'd be a good true, reunion. True. They have a good reputation and a good relationship. Yeah. Um, and, and that's a good point about most contracts, especially with free agent relievers. I think if you are willing to let Luis Garcia walk, and he signed for what two years, seven million with San Diego, mm-hmm. that I can understand why maybe Joe Kelly would be you kind of turn away from because he's certainly going to cost more than that. However, this front office it can be quite uh, unpredictable at times, so I wouldn't. It would not surprise me if Joe Kelly is at least on their radar. Um, but there's a couple other guys I like: um, Ryan Tapera, Brad Boxberger. Those kinds of guys where they've can, they had experience before in single inning roles. They can do multi-inning roles and just kind of bring a a versatile option to the bullpen. Because I expect the bullpen will be, like in seasons prior, utilized often.
0: Yeah, that was kind of my next question. Is it easier to see them throwing money just to avoid the situation they ran into last year? I mean, going into spring, you felt like they had a wealth of pitching, and we saw how quickly that blew up.
2: Yeah, you know, but I I think that the starting pitching, there were concerns early. I mean, even going into spring when I first got hired, just looking at the rotation, I remember thinking, you know, fans before I even really started writing about the Cardinals, fans were emailing me saying the Cardinals don't have enough pitching depth. This is what I'm talking about when I say fans will tell me what um, what to write about. And it it looks pretty thin. And I think. You know, if they do not bolster the bullpen, they'll run into the same problems. I think the, the front office is pretty confident in the one-two combo of Jack Thurney and Adam Wainwright. But three of their starters, and I know Jack hasn't had much of an injury history up until 2021 at all throughout his professional career, but Dakota Hudson and Miles Michaelis, they've both missed the yeah. overwhelming majority of the 2020 and 2021 season. Those are three starters coming back with injury history. Steven Matz has never pitched above 160 innings in his professional career, although he has pitched 150 in the last three full seasons, so you at least kind of know what you're getting consistency-wise from him, but if you don't have a, a bullpen that can kind of take over when the rotation needs them to, then you're just going to run into the same problems that you saw the Cardinals run into in June and July.
1: Obviously, there's a different person at the helm this year as well, which is another part of the puzzle with with Ali Marmal. Do you think that the the bullpen usage will be different this year? I mean, not that this negates getting more arms, because obviously they're still going to need them. But Mm -hmm. do you think he'll approach things a little bit differently?
2: You know, it's a good question because it's, it's don't, I kind of forget sometimes that Ollie is a new manager just because it just feels (laughs) like it's been so long. Brendan Um,
1: Schaefer said the same thing last week. So, no,
2: it's so, oh, my, like I said, the conception of time is is just a myth. I think that's something that I don't really have the answer to right now because we haven't seen it. He's talked a lot about using platoons in the matchups, but when it comes to the bullpen, you know, there's pitchers that you're going to try to let them ride as long as possible. Adam Wainwright's not coming out of that game unless you pretty much rip the ball out of his hand. Same with Jack Flaherty. Those those are the guys that you want going six, seven every single time, and and prefer to go. I mean, Wainwright prefers to go nine. So I think it's a lot of managing the, especially the the arms like Dakota Hudson, like Miles Michaelis. I think you'll see Ollie go to the bullpen earlier with them early on, just because Dakota Hudson's coming back from Tommy John. Miles Michaelis missed again the overwhelming majority of twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one. So. I think he has to err on the side of caution there. But when you look at the bullpen, you know, Ryan Helsley's coming back from injury. Jordan Hicks is coming back from injury. That's why I think it's so important they get a veteran arm that's consistent, that's stable, because there are a lot of young guys and a lot of players coming back from pretty substantial injuries that you're going to have to be careful careful with. So that's why I really think that the front office will target a durable, established veteran that can pitch in multiple roles just because there's going to be a lot of roles that they'll need to fit in on any given day.
1: You mentioned earlier uh, about um, Alex Reyes and Jordan Hicks being, you know, kind of groomed to be a starter. Even though you know they've had their injury problems, they've also not pitched a lot of innings over the last couple of years. Is this? You think this is a situation where they're the, you know, the long relief types, the the, or maybe even the opener types, where we'll see them for an inning or two, it's, and then maybe build up to three or four uh, as the year goes along.
2: Yeah, that's that's exactly my understanding of the situation. I, th- I think that it's easy to kind of freak out and panic when you hear the front office say and you hear Mo say we're looking at Jordan Hicks and Alex Reyes as potential starters. But at least my understanding of the situation is they are not going to be used as a traditional starter to go seven innings. Right? This is a more of a spot starter. I know the Cardinals have strayed from openers and piggybacks in seasons prior, but with a new manager and a you know a young staff and lots of pitchers coming off injuries. That could be different. This could be a time where you see a, a an opener used or a piggyback situation or a two-to-three-inning start, right? It's not your mm. traditional starting role that you're looking at with guys like Hicks and Alex Reyes. It's, okay, these are guys that we're going to maybe go, you know, committee today or Johnny Holstaff. But here, everyone's throwing today. Who can at least start the game? Give us a chunk of innings, right? That's why I also think guys like Jake Woodford, are going to be very important, especially early on until Matthew Libertor is ready. I think Jake Woodford's role as the sixth man or the, the spot starter, I think he thrived really well in September last year, whether it was long relief or starting on on short notice. I think they're going to be relying on on Hicks and Reyes if they need to, to kind of fill that. It's just not going on as, as long as Jake Woodford did. Obviously, he was built up in Memphis during that time. But I think when you're looking at guys like... Alex Reyes and Jordan Hicks in a starter's role potentially. It's for sure not the traditional starter. It's okay. Let's get creative with our staff. What can we do? What can these guys bring to the table to just fill a game?
1: We've talked a lot about the pitching staff, which is probably the most questionable part of the team. There's obviously a few questions on the offensive side of the ball, especially if they, after all these negotiations add a DH like we expect. Um, is this Juan Yepes' job for the taking, or do they want some sort of veteran backup up there uh, just in case he's not quite ready?
2: I would be very surprised if the Cardinals pursue a veteran bat because they stress their need for pitching to be so dire. And because one of the main concerns when talking to John Mazzaloc at the GM meetings in November was there's so much young talent coming through the pipeline. I mean, 2022 mm-hmm. was the Cardinals year that has been circled by the front office as in like go all in because everything was kind of hitting at once. They're, they're, they're cornerstone players, their are outfields, they're, they're young stars. Like the, the Tyler O'Neill's and the Jack Flaherty's are, are poised and like they're coming of age at the season and their prospects are going to be ready. So I think there's going to be a, a hesitancy when it comes to maybe pursuing a, a veteran if the Universal DH does come, does come to the National League because they don't want to block the pathway of any of these guys. And that includes Juan Yapez. That includes Lars Neupar, who, who did an admirable, admirable job as the fourth outfielder last year, and includes some of these guys coming up like Nolan Gorman, right? The potential DH of the future for the Cardinals. If you go out and you pursue a, a veteran you're blocking these guys, and you don't know what you are getting from these prospects in your pipeline that you developed to help your major league team. That was, I think, the front office's biggest biggest mm. hesitation when it came to potentially exploring a, a DH option, again, if it does come to the National League, was, well, if we do that, we don't know what we have in our pipeline, and we don't know what we need to do to continue elevating our team. If we need to, we don't know what, if we need to allocate towards other resources. And I think it was, in their mind, easier to open the season and seeing what they needed first, instead of bulking up and potentially burying some of their talent in the system.
1: Yeah, it definitely does make it for a little bit. I mean, you can always find somebody if you need to. Right. Um, and hopefully, with like you said, with all the, the young options, they won't necessarily need to do that. Then there's the six, $7 million question. What do you expect to see out of Paul DeYoung this year?
2: Well, I think the front office is expecting to see a better performance in 2021. Um, Mm -hmm. And a lot of the early season success, I think, depends on Paul DeYoung having a bounce-back season. And I'm not talking about going up and putting on numbers like 2019. I I think we've all known that Paul DeYoung has never really been a a bat that prototypes to hit for average, but he has it for power, um, and that kind of lacked. Paul DeYoung is an Mm -hmm. above-average shortstop defensively. If he can find some sort of consistency together even if he's hitting 240 if the power is there that is certainly much better than before but I I think he knows the pressure certainly I've had conversations with him we talked early in December about what he's been doing differently this offseason as he trains in Florida Mm -hmm. Edmundo Sosa too I think we'll especially to start the season see maybe a tandem between the two but I certainly think the pressure's on Paul DeYoung to perform early on. You know, I, I, the front office stress that they believe in him. Uh, he's a clubhouse guy. He's well-respected by his peers and his teammates. But he obviously has to hit more consistently if he wants to make a play, especially, you know, with the Cardinals electing not to pursue any of the top premier shortstops. They've, they've kind of solidified and said, no, we trust the tandem of Paul DeYoung and Amundo Sosa, and they're going to get it together. So I, I think that pressure, until Nolan Gorman is ready, for DeYoung to perform is super high.
1: Yeah, it's going to be. It's such a such an interesting. I mean, not unexpected, but when you have shortstops that were on the market that are of the, the caliber that there were, it you know it does. You're right. It puts a lot of pressure on a guy when the front office says we don't need to go get a Carlos Correa. We've got Paul DeYoung, and I, hopefully he can respond to that because that's a you know adds to another dimension of pressure for him
2: it does it does but i think it also speaks to wh- how confident the front office is in paul young's ability to put together a more consistent offensive production i mean like i said his defense is above average um i just think he and he obviously has knows this needs to be more consistent it, that it's ultimately all it comes down to yeah
1: which is of course easier said than done uh, absolutely so, uh, you know difficult for him um, Alan, you got anything else about the uh, the team? I've got one more thing about for Katie, but uh, anything else about the team that we haven't covered yet? Go ahead. Yeah. Um, Katie, just recently at The Athletic, y'all had the fan surveys, both for overall baseball, but then, of course, you did one for the Cardinals as well, um, which was very interesting, very fun to participate in. Were there any responses or any you know, answers that kind of surprised you when you looked at that? Or or did you kind of shake out the way you
2: thought it would? You know, the Cardinal survey was fun. I actually didn't think I was going to enjoy that. Um, when it was assigned, I was like, oh, okay. But it was actually a really fun exercise <laughs> um, I, because I, I was a little, I think I said it in my intro, a little nervous uh, because it didn't seem like the fan base was was that pleased with how the organization had been going. But I was really pleasantly surprised to find a lot of positive feedback what i was really surprised about and i promise this isn't meant to be a dig at the guy but the amount of people that uh rated john mozaloc as solid to above average to excellent um you know obviously he's not immune to criticism but based on what was in my email inbox or my twitter dms or my twitter mentions Mm -hmm. i was expecting him to not fare as well as he did but I think Cardinals fans, you're a smart bunch. Uh, you don't need me to tell you that, but you are. And I, I think it, when you look at how this, this organization has operated in its history over the last 10 years, pretty much almost always competitive. This is not an organization that tanks for draft picks. This is one that prides itself on being in competition and, and being in play for a playoff spot at the minimum each year. Uh, it was nice to kind of see, like, yes – that is great. We're appreciative of that. Here's what we could get better. Just it was an overwhelmingly like positive experience. Um, so it was interesting to to kind of see a different perspective from fans from that angle.
1: Yeah, it, it, you're right. It was a little bit surprising because we spend a lot of time on Twitter. Um, right. Let that be a some lesson. Of the, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> some, somehow <laughs> Twitter is not exactly a uh, real life, for, even though it seems like it. So... Um, Getty, we've really appreciated you joining us again this time around. And, uh, you know, hopefully your second year on the beat is somewhat more traditional. Let's put it that way.
2: I like that. A more traditional second season. Thanks, guys, for having me. You do a wonderful job with your podcast and, and the Cardinals community on Twitter. I think you make it better. So thanks so much for having me.
1: Well we appreciate that. And Alan and I will be back with you sometime soon, maybe next week, maybe the week after. Um maybe hopefully soon as they sign a CBA and we have stuff to talk about. But We'd until then <laughs> Yeah, for Alan and Katie. I'm Daniel. Good night. Good night. Shooter from the belt to the plate. A swing and a miss. And that's a winner. That's a winner. A World Series winner for the Cardinals.